Hi everyone, it's Ricardo. It is a new year and guess what? We've got an exciting new opportunity for the Popping Collars universe. Have you ever listened to us and thought, I could do that? These guys don't even know what they're talking about. Have you ever had an idea for a podcast, but you just didn't know how to get it off the ground? Or have you started working on a podcast just to find that your only audience is your mom and your dog? Well, starting this year, we are beginning a special offering called Popping Collars Plus. Here's how it works. If you've got a podcast that's somewhere in the neighborhood of religion and popular culture, send us your recording and we will possibly host it on our feed, the longest running Episcopal feed of all time with thousands of downloads per month. It's an opportunity to get your voice to a wide audience and get that potential booster shot of listeners that you've always wanted. And we get the benefit of hearing from more diverse voices from around the religious world. So it's a win-win. So if you want to take advantage of Popping Collars Plus, just send an email and MP3 submission to poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com and we will review your offering and possibly put you on the feed. We're looking forward to hearing from all you creative souls. So keep those microphones humming and keep those collars Hi, I'm Greg. Hey, I'm Ryan. And this is PCTV, a popping color side project where we randomly select a current television show that you should be streaming right now. That's right. It's a brand new offering for popping collars. We've been talking about movies for a long time. We've been talking about music for a long time. I've always wanted to talk about TV. And now I have a former TV uh, podcaster on the show to join me on this uh, on this journey. So thanks for coming on, Ryan. It's a randomly selected show from a preordained group of series. That's right. So here's how it works. Ryan and I have each picked six shows separately. So I have six shows. Ryan has six shows from the top streaming apps uh, that are out there. So that includes Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, HBO Max. It may be called Max now. I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe called Discovery Plus now. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, Prime Video and Apple TV Plus. So those are the six that we're picking from. And we each picked one show each from each of those services. And what we're going to do is randomly select it. So our, uh, our magical spinning wheel app that Betsy hates so much, that's what we're using to pick our, our TV series for the show. And we've actually spawned the wheel already. And this month, we're talking about the Disney Plus series Andor. To steal from the Empire? You just walk in like you belong. They're so proud of themselves. So fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would ever get inside their house. Cassian Ander. The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? 
need all the heroes I can get. For the greater good. Call it what you will. Let's call it war. There's fermenting out there, son. Pockets of fermenting. You're in my net. Are you a fish? Or are you a thief? You're slipping. <laughs> I'm not slipping. I've just been hiding for too long. As long as everyone thinks I'm an irritation, there's a good chance they'll miss what I'm really doing. What are you really doing? This is what revolution looks like. I'm tired of losing. Ryan, I have a brief description of Andor. Would you like to hear it? I would like to hear it, and I bet that uh, most people listening have already watched it. It was a huge hit last month. Was it? I don't know. Let's talk about that. I'll, a bit, but... I'll tell you why. Yep. Okay. Uh, here is the IMDb description. Uh, Andor is a prequel series to Star Wars Rogue One, which was a movie that came out in, what, 2018, something like that? In an era filled with danger, deception, and intrigue, Cassian Andor will embark on the path that is destined to turn him into a rebel hero. This is a very generic description of what is actually sort of a spy thriller show Mm -hmm. in the vein of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Ryan, this is a selection that you made. This is your Disney Plus pick. Why did you pick Andor? Well, I think it's one of the best new series of the year without question i would put it in my top five maybe my top three i think listen i i totally get i'm, I'm not going to try to spoil everything you and i've already talked about I yeah. know we'll get a lot of this stuff later the star wars universe the marvel cinematic universe and the series that are spinning off from that you either like that stuff or you don't right yeah there's it's not a, i mean I, I think maybe for the star wars set you could probably have some purists who are like well i just stop at the first three you know yeah but i love that universe but for me you either like it or you don't and you want to live in it or you want to see as much of it as you can now i'm not going to dress up as anybody from these universes but i do see the mythological function of them and when they're and when they're done well that stuff just really hits you know i've said this so many times and i don't know if i'm the only person to say this but when i first started Andor, and I probably watched the first five episodes twice, it felt to me like I was living in that universe, more so than anything that's been done in with that universe, including the first movies. I felt like I was a visitor to those places because the, of the spectacle of those films and the larger-than-life events that are in them. And to your point, this is a very intimate, small, even though it's set across this vast galaxy, story of essentially... A handful of people, not just one man, because I think there's some great performances. You're going to talk about one later. Yeah. But it felt like I was living there and not a tourist. And I I don't know. I just loved it and everything that it took for granted. But then the new things that it did, which, you know, I want to come back to later. But, yeah, I just thought it was. And the performances, the production value was insanely good. And now this is the last thing I'll say before, you know, I'm going to hear what you think. But. (laughs) The way that they shot 
the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett, the technical term for this, I forget, but that's basically all shot on a soundstage. Yeah, the volume. They shot yeah. the volume. Like with CGI, you know, kind of backdrops and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe for this series, they were attempting to use as much real physical kind of scenery and sets, if you will. And I don't know. I just I, I felt kind of like the lived in feel of the series. I just I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's a that's actually a great place to start, because so I'm assuming that you came in. You were day one on Andor. Like when it came out, you were you were on board, ready to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, I came to it late. So like I actually didn't watch it and probably had no interest in watching it until we started this podcast and you picked it and it came up on the wheel. <laughs> like I would have probably lived my entire life without watching the show. And I think, I don't know that it's polarizing necessarily. Like I've, you know, yeah, I'm a what 40 something year old white dude. So I like star Wars as much as all the other 40 something year old white dudes. Right. Yeah. Um, But it's just that maybe it's the, Mark market saturation or something. There's just so much of it that I'm just like, I, I don't have time. Like, I don't, well, it's true. not only that I don't have time. It's like, how invested do I want to be? So maybe that's a good place to start. Let's start with um some hot takes on the show. Just kind of like, what, what were the things that immediately jumped out at you? You'd have to say what first grabbed me were those things, the the groundedness of the series, the beauty of the series I mean, in terms of its production value, and the performances were what hooked me. And if that's all it would have been, that's fine. But I, I, there are more things that I want I think, if we're kind of looking at our rundown here that I, will, I think we'll get to. But I don't yeah. want I don't want to jump too far ahead. What was what was that for you? Well, let me throw out a hot take. I don't, it doesn't right sound like it did hook you right away. I don't know. Well, no, I I went I would actually probably not because my hot take right off the bat and the way that it's probably important to say the way the show is structured is it's basically it's twelve episodes, but every what would you say like three episodes? It's like its own storyline. So it's more right. Like it's that story arc. Yeah. So it's like watching four movies, like four hour and a half movies. Yeah. Right. And each section is written by a different person. And my hot take is that the first three episodes are written by Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy is a genius. I'm not saying that Tony Gilroy is like a hack out here. Right. Maybe the devil's advocate was a little hacky, but that's still um, good. But Tony Gilroy's great. I'm 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 never gonna put down a Tony Gilroy script. Hey. I thought those were the most boring episodes of the entire season. I thought okay. Tony Gilroy's episodes were kind of the the slowest and most inert episodes of the season. And the ones that, that I was like, I gotta know what happens, it were like everyone else's. Listen, I like Michael Clayton as much as the next guy. I think that you know he's a genius when it comes to some of these scripts, but I don't know. I was thinking he has written a, an amazing show, but there's probably there's probably other people that do it better than him that are working on this show now. No, that's that's definitely a hot take. Tony Gilroy, give us a call. I'll talk to you, Tony Gilroy. <laughs> uh, I just go back. I want to go back to the cutting edge. I don't know how many times I've seen that film. Yeah, and I guess the other side of that too is that so Tony Gilroy was responsible for Rogue One. And of all the Disney Star Wars movies, my hot take is that Rogue One is the worst of all of them. 
And the reason that I say that is because I remember sitting in the theater watching that movie and thinking to myself, like, who is this for? Like, who is this movie for? Because it's, you know, it's got sort of the trappings of what a dirty dozen or mm-hmm. a great escape or something like that. Something that would appeal to like a maybe a late 30s, early 50 year old. But then at the end of the day, it's like, but then there's like these magicians running you know it's still the fantasy story for children that all of star wars is and so it was hard to kind of figure out like what is forrest whitaker doing and why is he using like some bizarre alien to do it like if it's grounded make it grounded and if it's fantasy make it fantasy but the blend of both of them it was just it was a little it didn't feel like that worked for you too weird yeah 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 i liked it that's probably like I said, you know, before like coming into something with some some anticipation. I kind of enjoyed Rogue One, yeah, in terms of its aesthetic and. But I, I again, this is one of those cases where I totally get it. Like mm-hmm. I can see why people don't like it. I can see why people feel well. This is just kind of milking this universe for more, more, more. You know. Yeah. Well, and, let's talk about what we did like. What was your best scene? Of the series. I think you and I share it. The prison break, for me, anything in the prison, I liked a lot. Tell him what to do. It has to be you. Come on, Kino. You do this every day. Tell him what to do. My name is Kino Loy. I'm the day shift manager on level five. I'm speaking to you from the command center on level eight. We are at this moment in control of the facility. Is that the best you got? How long we hang on how far we get, how many of us make it out, all of that is now up to us. We have deactivated every floor in the facility. All the floors are cold. Wherever you are, right now, get up. Stop the work. Get out of your cells. Take charge and start climbing. They don't have enough guards, and they know it. If we wait until they figure that out, it'll be too late. We will never have a better chance than this. And I would rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. We know they fried a hundred men on level two. Know that they are making up our sentences as we go along. We know that no one outside here knows what's happening. And now we know that when they say we are being released, we are being transferred to some other prison to go and die. And that ends today. There is one way out right now. The building is ours! 
ready to run, climb, kill! You need to help each other. You see someone who's confused, someone who's lost? You get them moving and you keep them moving until we put this place behind us. There are 5,000 of us. If we can fight half as hard as we've been working, we will be home in no time. The prison labor and exploitation that yeah. hits quite close to home if you're watching in America, um, in any sense, kind of like I, I kind of liken it to people who read the Bible and are like, uh, miss the point that America or that, you know, that Rome is Babylon and, and that America yeah. might also be, you know, right. if you're really paying attention. And so, you know, that I, I, that's kind of what I liked about those scenes is that it really recasts this kind of cartoonish evil empire and so it's really dark hard yeah well but you're also like totally convinced of the rightness of your cause and it's like yeah with the the rebellion or the right yeah and like the the imperials it's like the thing the thing about the show and you're yeah so i agree with you i think the prison so basically the whole prison break storyline so like cassian going to prison figuring out how to live in prison and then breaking out of the prison. Like that whole story, I would say is my best scene for lack of a better word. Right. Yeah. Um, It's my best storyline of the show. And and so much of that rings true and in some cool way, like not so cool, but cool ways where, you know, it's a, it's wrongful detainment. It's yeah. I mean, not really because he is a rebel, but like he wasn't doing anything when they caught him. Yeah. And, and then this idea that it's going to be a cycle, you're just going to go to another floor, or they're going to kill you, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I agree. With, I really like that. You kind well, of, they've got to build forward. a, I mean, they've got to build a Death Star. Like at the end of the yeah, day, like they have to build this massive thing. It's the pyramids. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly the pyramids. But like, that's the thing. Like the, the Egyptians would never tell you that the pyramids was built off of like exploitation and evil, right? They would tell you that it's a testament to the gloriousness of their civilization, mm-hmm. which is kind of exactly how the empire functions. It's how their evil functions in this series yeah. is that it's a bunch of tryhards. It's a bunch of people who are like trying to do their job well. And what their job is, is oppressing and killing civilizations around the galaxy. Right. Yeah. To amass, um, to amass yeah. materials or labor or whatever. Yeah, but they yeah. but but like it's totally justified for them. They don't see it as evil. They see it as like I don't know, like their job. Yeah, and, and even that, that's and the kind of banality of that is is interesting as well. When you look at the character who I, I I'm always terrible with names, but the kind of the the try hardest hardiest of all, <laughs> right? You know, the aspiring officer. It's so petty. Yeah. Wait, are you talking anyway. about? Okay, so uh, here's the thing. I'm terrible at Star Wars names, so I'm just going to call them by their actor names. Most of yeah. this, most of this podcast, I'm sorry, but Kyle Soler, th- is that who you're talking about? The yeah. guy from the yeah. guy from the security yeah, force, Cyril Karn. Cyril, yeah. Karn. Okay, yeah. So played by Kyle Soler, yeah. yeah. But um, he's basically he's also like a, very good. 
Yes, very good. He's basically like a glorified security guard on this planet. Mm-hmm. And if he would just leave well enough alone and rubber stamp things, everybody would just live their life calmly. But no, he has to he has to be like Columbo out here solving crimes uh, yeah. for the empire. And as a result, everything goes to crap, right? Everything you gotta prove something to a mother that no matter what he does, it's never going to be good enough. Right. Yeah. Gosh, that's so true. I mean, unless he is like second in command to Emperor Palpatine, like he's not, he's never going to be good enough. No, never. So that's actually good because it brings me to my best performance of the series, which is Denise Goog, who plays Dedra Miro, right? Which is the, which is who I was kind of thinking that you were talking about. So she's like this officer in the empire Basically, think like, um, I don't know what, like uh, an Inquisition team, maybe, well, or something. I think or, of like the CIA or something. Or yeah, like, they're kind of like intelligence officers who are trying to quell rebellions, basically. Yeah. Um, and so she's part of this sort of imperial task force who totally, like everybody else on the task force is like, who's even going to try this? We're the Empire. We're too big for anybody to go against us. Like you're wasting your time tracking down these, you know, these small uprisings on these little planets that don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And but she's the one that can see the bigger picture. And that's the thing that I love about the performance is that she's actually really good at her job. But what her job is, is oppressing (laughs) cultures and civilizations. And that's scary because that's like. That's like a billion people around the world working for corrupt governments. I sent something eager in you this morning. Am I mistaken? No, sir. I'm at risk of repetition. You are correct. Good news, is it? I'm afraid not. I wish to lodge a charge against a fellow supervisor. Proceed. I believe our sector protocols, as described in the ISB Code of Conduct, are being violated by Supervisor Miro and that this overreach, for which she was previously reprimanded, risks compromising Imperial safety to a degree that silence is no longer possible. You think this forum appropriate? I do. Serious charge. I believe you'll share my sense of urgency. Supervisor Miro, do you mind having your integrity ventilated in public? No, sir. Supervisor Blevin obviously finds my conduct a more interesting subject than the advancement of integrated Imperial security. He's put a lot into it. I'm curious to hear his insights. This is Ferrix, is it not? Yes, sir. Your sector, there was an unusual piece of naval equipment recovered. Miro wanted your crime reports. You determined her request was out of order and in violation of the chain of command. That's not accurate. You advised me to reinforce my suspicions with data and to be careful in my work going forward. Careful? Is that your defense? You've been careful. I'd be curious how many people at this table will think it careful that you found a way to access our sector data without ever filing a request. Is that true, Dedra? Yes. I used the Imperial Emergency Act in the wake of Aldani to gather data across multiple sectors without official sanction, but that is the wrong question. I'd like to know if anyone here believes the rebellion plans its actions around the artificially constructed boundaries of our sectors. Major Partagas created those sectors. As organizing principles, not personal playthings, do you really think the rebels care about the lines we draw on maps? You think the relevance of my work has been supplanted? Systems either change or die. 
sir. Thesis, please. There is a focused, organized rebel effort to acquire highly restricted Imperial military components. Your evidence? By accessing unfiltered sector crime reports, I can now prove a link between the theft of our most secret equipment and its distribution to rebel groups across the galaxy. This is hard, verifiable data you are prepared to present? Yes, sir. I believe Supervisor Blevin is aware. I have a documented file ready to go. I believe his accusations here this morning have more to do with self-preservation than any sense of urgency. What's more urgent than a renegade intelligence officer? Imagine if everyone in this room played as loose with the rules as you. An excellent suggestion, Blevin. I'm wondering where we'd be right now if everyone here showed the same endeavor as Supervisor Mira. I'll have to think about that. For the moment, I'm reassigning the Morlana sector to Supervisor Mira. Ferrix is of great interest to her and has clearly become a distraction for you. I see no urgent problem, but as always, I salute the provocative exchange of ideas. Supervisor Grandy, you will accelerate your schedule. Young, I will expect your report on Old Mandel tomorrow. Thank you all for the lively session. Dedra, if you'd walk with me a moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely eager, mm -hmm. dedicated, competent. You know, that last part is what uh, Cyril seems to not be. Even yeah. though he is on to what she's on to, I don't know. She He just lacks something in that kind of leadership department. Yeah, yeah. at least how it comes across on screen, I think. But, my, but for real, though, uh, just because her character is so fascinating is Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. And the yeah, position yeah. that she's in, along with Luthen, with Stellan Skarsgård, I mean, they're they're kind of similar people of privilege and power who are prepared to sacrifice all of that. Maybe we talk about that later. But um, she's really she's really trying to stand up against this empire. And you why I love the scene with her when she's in the Senate, and you can <laughs> only hear her voice, but you couldn't really pick her out because there are thousands of seats in that chamber. You know that scene I'm talking about. Mm -hmm what she's really up against, but she doesn't give up and she's not going to stop. As we know, she's not going to stop. And I, I just seeing that the early days of her fight uh, and trying to do it diplomatically. Right. And then, and then slowly realizing, okay, that we're going to have to take up arms against this oppressor. Right. Um, and, I'm and, what are you, and what are you willing to lose? Right. What are you willing to give up along the way? Because she's got, luxury she's got like this giant you know beautiful apartment um That's status car is pretty cool too yeah she has a family she has her family she has a daughter mm -hmm. so it's like what are you willing to sacrifice for your belief right and what do you sacrifice calm Kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight. They set me on a path from which there's no escape. 
I yearned to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or, or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! This is going to get way off on a tangent, but it's it's characters like this and it shows like this that make me that maybe kind of look inward. And I, I think when when you have really good TV or film, that's what they're supposed to do, or that's yeah. what you know you hope they do. And I you know I was having a conversation with a buddy yesterday, and it's the older I get, like the harder and harder it is for me to call myself a Christian because I look at the teachings of Jesus and I'm like, my life doesn't look like that at all. Right. Like at best, I just try not to be an asshole most of right. the day. But right. I've got like five coats and three empty bedrooms in my house. And what am I? What am I willing to sacrifice? And if you look at my life, you got to say not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I find that really, really hard to do. And you know, we have, and then go on and let's say, well, let's talk about all the efforts for revolution in our own country or justice, if you will, like another yeah. name for, for social justice work. You know, this is when you look at those characters, they're very rich and I, I, I mean, texturally rich, but also financially wealthy. But they're such deep characters because they are looking at a moment and saying it's worth everything. Right. Well, I mean, that's what Luthen says. Yeah, that's the that's the big quote in the penultimate yeah. episode is what yeah. did you sacrifice for this? Yeah. I mean, it, it, when you talk about when you compare it to Christianity, right? the the mirror to those early christians who are like i'm i'm willing to drop the nets in the boat and follow jesus wherever he goes right this idea of yeah. i will give up i will give up everything in order to follow this mission but yeah. just like stellan skarsgard character like they're not going to see the end of it right they're going to keep working and working and working and they're going to die and it's never going to be brought to fruition, right? There's going to be generations of Christians that come after them. They're they're willing to work for something and to sacrifice everything for, to your point for something that they will never see. Yeah, that's and that's, yeah. I think I think that was the thing that Stellan Skarsgård gave voice to in this show that I was like, oh, I really appreciate that. The idea that you're willing to fight for something that he knows he's never going to see the end of the empire. He that's knows he's think, never going to see the fall of the empire. That's where I think still we, willing to fight for it. Yeah. I think that's where we see the real parallels for the, the world that we live in today. There's, I mean, God name something. Yeah. You and I are never going to see the reconciliation of whatever that is. Right. And Lord, I'm like, would I sacrifice everything for, for that? No. It also made me think of these characters and kind of archetypes like a Moses and an Aaron, right? Like I'm, I don't get to go. Yeah. Right. I don't get to live in that world. And um, yeah, it's real powerful. I think in a star Wars se series. Totally. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've touched on a lot of the theology of the show that I was planning to touch on anyway. So let me ask you about sort of a, the big idea of this series, which for yeah. me is, this idea of adult Star Wars, which I think I have a hard time wrapping my brain around. And I've already given voice to a little bit of that. 
but it's this idea that what this show is is it's a what it's an it's a, a Nazi thriller, right? Like it's um it's a spy it's a spy show, um which isn't necessarily something that you would think screams fantasy show for children because it's not that it's it's something else. It's playing to a different audience. I think it's playing to an adult audience. So it's like. What does that mean when Star Wars, the IP of Star Wars, tries to do something adult and grounded? Mm-hmm. And would this show look different if it didn't have the Star Wars wrapping paper? See, I don't think it's baggage. I think it's the playground. So I I think it's the sandbox. And I love that. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you just made me think of one of my other favorite scenes in the series where um, Luthen's ship. He's got a lightsaber on his ship. His ship turns into a lightsaber and he cuts a, a TIE fighter in half. I jumped out of the couch. I was like, <laughs> my wife was like, sit down. Then she looked at me and she's like, that's pretty cool though. And so, you know, but I love, I love this. See, I, I, this is where I think, you know, I, I look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I feel like they've taken a couple of missteps recently. Yeah. They're picking the wrong stories i mean that that library is so rich with runs that could be adapted for tv or movies right mm-hmm. and i'm you know uh same thing with dc universe to me this is kind of similar with star wars is this is the world the universe that has captivated the the hearts and minds of so many viewers and creators writers and directors and producers that i think that's the the next step is to say, okay, the main storyline that has on which this universe has hung or been built has kind of run its course. Where do we go next? Yeah. Well, let's just go back in there and play in the sandbox. And I think that to me, I, I don't have a problem with that. I could see, I could, again, I can see why people well, would react differently to that. And the last thing I would say is what is the, so you've just, you've said what this show is. It's a right. British spy thriller. Yeah, I love it. absolutely. I mean, when it started, I looked at Amy and I was like, this is like makes me feel like the spy who came in from the cold, like another yeah. great spy mm-hmm. thriller. But what is the Mandalorian? What is the Book of Boba Fett trying to be? You know, I, to me, the, that's my least favorite of any of them. Right. The Mandalorian is well. Let's make a western and let's set a western in this universe. Let's mm-hmm. make a spy thriller and set it in there. And if they don't do it, if the people that own this stuff don't do it, the fans are going to do it anyway. You could go to L.A. right now and go see. Get ready, everybody. The Empire Strips Back burlesque show. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? This There's a great book called Blockbuster, <laughs> and it's about the origins of the Blockbuster movie and how um, <laughs> the merchandising that has gone alongside these movies. Right. And, uh, a person who the person who wrote the book would have been like probably uh, I forget uh, how old he was when the first Star Wars came out, but like kind of a young adult. Right. Or like an older teen. Yeah. And so not only not only is he looking back critically on the genre, he also experienced it firsthand and that kind of ripe age uh, for Star Wars. And he said, what a lot of critics don't understand is that had Lucas not retained the merchandising rights and made these official action figures and toys, right. we would have made them ourselves mm-hmm. because we were so captivated by the universe. Somebody would have made them mm-hmm. out of the sheer fandom that 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 world had suddenly generated. So to me, this feels a little bit like that on the creator side of like, this is such a, and now look, 
You could be cynical and say it's just financial exploitation or whatever. Fine. Right. But you could also say there are people who genuinely love this world and want to play in it and, 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 and draw from it. Obviously, it, I don't, you're, I think you fell asleep. You're not, you're not. See. <laughs> I'm not. You're not I promise. I promise. I'm though. not. Like my job isn't to crap all over the show. I promise. It's no, but just hey, that, like, to, it's going to make a good conversation. Hot it's take. Just that, it's just that. Like I, I was about halfway through this show. I want to say like the heist episode. So the second set of stories in this uh, in the show is a heist where they have to they have to basically raid an imperial garrison for like and and a lot of money rob their vault right yeah. yeah. So I was about halfway through the high storyline and I turned to my wife and I was like, this is really good. But like, I know that somewhere in this galaxy, there's a frog man that can move rocks with his mind. Like it's, it's just like, I think that Star Wars has so much stuff that it's like when you try to set something like this in the Star Wars world, it's like, you can't divorce your mind from all that other stuff. Why does the frogman not know that this is going on in the universe and, and lend those superpowers? Hey, it may that's a kind of that's interesting though, because it may you just made me think about my experience of the new avatar a couple weeks ago where yeah. I was like, wait, this woman can control the fish in the sea? Right. And we don't get that until like minute, you know, 180. Like yeah. we couldn't have had this 30 minutes ago, and the movie would have been over. What tremendous you know? knowledge. Yeah. Um, so just really quickly, though. Sure. When we talk about this show, what we're talking about is so Andor is a critical darling. Like I've seen this show show up as like number one, number two on many, many sort of TV critics, top 10, you know, year in lists and stuff mm-hmm. like this is a this is legitimately a good show. Like, I, okay. you know, I am I am doing my best to be devil's advocate on this but you're you know even i can't so you're not you're, a, you're not absurd they're not absurd yeah. for me. this is a this is a great show but is anybody watching like i mean i guess that's the other question is well, and like doesn't it doesn't matter that's the other that's the other question i think that sometimes like in our current state of fandom we sort of hitch our wagons to whatever ip we appreciate and then it's like you know and then we kind of sort of crunch numbers that are meaningless like it doesn't matter if the dc you know brand of warner brothers is restarting like who cares right like at the end of the day you know they're making a decision about what kind of art they want to make so at the end of the day does it matter if andor gets ratings if they're making a show that people want to watch that's a i mean that's the crux of any i mean this is the the state of the industry Right. Is do we want to make stuff that we know people are fans of, uh, and then potentially continue to alienate people who it doesn't live up to their expectations, or they get tired of it, or they feel overwhelmed by it? All these yeah. things we've talked about. Or do they take a chance on something that is really captivating, probably as a script or an idea? But there's no way to know if people are going to buy into that. Yeah. That's probably been the case, gosh, forever in the history of this industry um but more so now than ever with this kind of proliferation of platforms so let's go to industry corner just real quick yeah because i think that we're kind of touching on some of this when do you think kathleen kennedy would have looked at this project 
on the heels of all of the fallout from the Ryan Johnson Star Wars movie and thought to herself, all right, I'll green light, you know, somebody taking another risk with this IP. Because, well, I- because the lesson that I think Disney, Disney Corporation learned from episode eight was no, 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 don't rock the boat. Don't try to do your thing fit into Star Wars, like do Star Wars. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of the lesson that like John Favreau learned maybe and stuff like that. But yeah. this seems like a departure. This seems like Kathleen Kennedy signing off on an alturist vision from Tony Gilroy here, which is oh, what got her into hot water in the first place. Yeah. But I think you're hundred percent right though. I mean, he's, that's exactly what she did. I think, I think you have somebody, you, however that conversation happened, right. Whatever the birth of that idea was, whether it's them sitting down with him and saying, hey, wh- whoever had the idea of spy thriller in the Star Wars universe? I mean, at some point, if Tony Gilroy says yes to that, you've, you've already intimated. You're like, well, you gotta, you're taking, you're doing it, mm-hmm. right? There's a pedigree there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's uh, it clearly paid off, but I, I see what you're asking. It's kind of hard to say. But in terms of in terms of its engagement, you know, it's, no, none of these platformers ever shared numbers, and we could probably do a quick Google, Google search to see if anything's gotten out. But yeah, as far as I know, it's the first series from a like dedicated streamer that has crossed over to premiere on network television. There's way more people who don't have these platforms than do mm-hmm. that subscribe to these to, to these whatever it is Netflix, Disney, whatever. Yeah. So it's one of two things. It's it's so popular. Let's throw it out there f- just for the hell of it and make a statement. Or to your question, maybe not as many people are watching it that we want to. Yeah. Or are people watching it and then checking out? I don't know because I don't have that. I don't have those numbers. I don't know who would know other than the people that work for the platform. So what you were saying about Disney Plus, I think is interesting because so this is this is a fascinating streaming service, right? Because they have the top two things in the game. They have the biggest money-making IP that's out there, right? Yeah. So Netflix would give anything to have Marvel. Warner Brothers would give anything to have Marvel. Paramount would give anything to have Marvel. Yeah. Disney has Marvel and they have Star Wars and they have Pixar and they have all of their Disney brand. But like if you are a creator, you're going to have to fit into one of those brands, right? So it's like they've got the big names on lockdown, but you're not going to get to do, a, you know, the bear like you would on FX or Reservation Dogs or I don't know, like any any number of shows, White Lotus on HBO. You're not going to be able to do something like that. You're going to have to do White Lotus set in the world of Moana, you know, or so well, it's like, oh, that's crazy. yeah, it's like, I, I mean, I think that that's, I think that's like Disney plus has a lot going for it in that they have the biggest names in the ballpark, but at the same time, like they don't, if you compare it to baseball, like they have the top three and four hitter, but they've got nothing at like the seven, eight and nine spot, you know, because it's like, yeah. and I, well, this is something I, I wrote to you earlier today was, and you're leading me right back to it, which is so what? Yeah. <laughs> I, no, that's that's Disney. That, <laughs> right. That's me speaking as as if the app, if the Disney app plus had a voice other than the the sound and the snap. Right. 
Like other than other say, than cha-ching, and? the cha-ching sound point? that goes with it. Yeah. It would say and. <laughs> What's your point? Because yeah, we've got we can win because our one, two, and three guys are going to hit jack. They're going to jack a homer every time they come up to the plate. Now, right. you and I both know that they don't do that. Right. There are some bad series and they're bad movies, but people buy into that. The bigger question, which I think you're getting at, is uh, a lot of these others. If you scroll through a list here of like the top shows of 2022, for example, I'm just looking at one of these lists. There's not a lot of them on Disney Plus. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a creator, well, go tell your story at Hulu. Hulu and FX are brave. That that's where you go to tell a fresh story. Like you talk mm-hmm. about the bear, for example. I think it's another. I I didn't put that in the Hulu, and I should have. Um, and our and the, the shows that we could potentially talk about, but go tell your story there. And if you tell it well, then Disney's going to go hire you and maybe pay you an obscene amount of money to write and direct one of those shows, like one of those top three slots, like you're talking about. So, okay. are you confident, just as a as a to put a pin in Andor? Are you confident that Andor is proof that you can be creative in the Disney machine? Like Tony Gilroy proved that you can be an auteur in this space. I think so. I mean, if you have the vision, I, I... Um, Ryan, I love it. Andor, wonderful spy show. It was actually it was a really good show, and I'm glad that you made me watch it and that you got me over in my stubbornness with uh with all things Star Wars these days. I You're welcome. <laughs> so what's okay. the next show? I've got the wheel. I'm going to spin the wheel. Can I see it? Can I see uh, it? Can you, can you see? On I can. The... I do. I see it. The wheel of death. <laughs> exactly. And it has come up with Money Heist as our next show. So I'm going to have to go back. Now, Now let me say, we could we could call an audible here. Oh, yeah? You, you, could can, read you can. Okay. So Money Heist is your Netflix pick. So do you want Money Heist or do you want to swap it out for another Netflix show? We should... We should potentially respin the wheel because I want to help. I'm I'm helping you out. Money heist is like five seasons. Oh, geez. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I th- I think that it's appropriate for our show that you watch as much as you can or you want to in order to talk about the show. So I will give it a few episodes. If I don't make it through all five seasons, it's fine. I can I can still confidently talk about the show. I think. Yeah, I may have to do some brushing up on it myself. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm a big international fan. This gives us a chance to bring in a squid game conversation if we want to. I love it. So next up on PCTV, Money Heist. We that will be our yeah. next show. Yeah, with a dose of squid. <laughs> Cram it and then join us next time. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks.